Howdy, folks, and welcome to this edition of TGC Midweek. My name is Jacob, and with us today is a very special guest. Carl Alagirin is the Area Director for Young Life San Antonio Northwest. You'll also recognize him from playing guitar at Trinity Grace Church. Carlisle, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Honored to be a part of it. Awesome. Awesome. So um, you work for Young Life, as we talked about. Give us just a little bit of an introduction uh, to what Young Life is, um, what the ministry is all about, because there's a lot of folks out there who aren't familiar with Young Life and really uh, don't have much of a clue of what it is. Mm-hmm. Sure thing. So Young Life basically is a Christian ministry designed for non-Christian kids. Okay. Rewind back to 1941. There was a pastor in Gainesville, Texas, a small town just north of Denton, Texas, um, who more or less said, uh, I'm doing a great job with these folks in the church, and we're doing wonderful ministry. And he spoke to a guy he just hired, a young seminarian, and said, hey, Jim, I want you to go down to the high school to all of the kids who are not coming to our church, Mm -hmm. and I want you to spend time on their turf with them. I'll spend time monkeying around here with the folks in the church and doing a great job with them, but you go down the street to that local high school. And that's how Young Life started. Awesome. And 77 years later. So so talk a little bit about who the target Young Life kid is. Um, what does a typical Young Life kid look like? Sure thing. Uh, the target kid is a, that's a great question. Although the ministry is designed for non-Christian kids, uh, I'm a product of being a Christian kid involved in Young Life. And when I was in high school, uh, Young Life was the sharpest tool that God used to make me more like Himself. Okay. And so the way that we structure our activities are for anybody to come, especially non-Christians, to be able to experience and hear the gospel clearly. Okay. But I received an encouraging note in the mail over Christmas. And the encouraging note said, Carlisle, thank you for getting me involved in Young Life when I was in high school. And they said, because Young Life gives non-Christians hope, and it gives Christians purpose, Mm. because we offer Christians an opportunity to serve in a ministry that's made up, if we're doing our job right, of mostly kids outside the faith. And mostly kids that they know from school, mostly kids that are their friends. Within arm's reach in Mm -hmm. their friend group at school, yes. Absolutely. So what is the main tool that Young Life uses um, to present the gospel in this accessible way that you talked about? So once a week, we have what we call club. Okay. And club is on Monday nights at 8.01 p.m. 8.01. Not 8 o'clock? Because 8.01 is a memorable time. And yes. if you tell a kid it's at 8.01, they won't forget that mm. time. And club is on Monday nights right across the street from Clark High School. And it's a party with a purpose. And it's basically uh, it basically consists of singing crazy songs playing crazy games, and hearing a message from the Bible in a way that teenagers can understand, which okay. is usually somewhere between 8 to 12 minutes, and is a simple message about the person of Christ. Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about um, uh, how, how Club works and how Young Life uh, is a ministry of the church, but is distinct from the church. Because I know when I was growing up, there was, there was um, a little bit, there was a, there was a misunderstanding of what Young Life uh, was mm-hmm. and a lot of folks just really didn't get it and kind of dismissed it as this um, this uh, secularized ministry that sang uh, secular songs and just did a small little teaser of, of the gospel at the end. So, to what degree does Young Life fit that mold, or how do you think the the Young Life Club model fits into the church universal? That's a great question. Uh, let me tell you a brief story. Okay, 
A friend of mine in high school was named Martin, and Martin was a Christian, and he probably knew more scripture memorized in high school than I will probably ever know in my entire life. One of those kids. Had a wonderful upbringing. And I invited him to Young Life Club with me because he sat next to me in English class. Mm -hmm. I said, Martin, I think you'll like it. So Martin comes with me. We have a great, fun club, sing crazy songs, play crazy games, hear a short message from the Bible in a way that kids can understand. After club, everybody leaves, and I was helping to clean up because I was a senior, and I had volunteered to help clean up after club. Martin walks up to my young life leader named, I call him Chris, um, and uh, walks up to Chris, and Martin says, Chris, I got some questions for you. Chris says, okay, Martin, fire away. And Martin goes, uh, why don't we sing more worship songs in club? And Chris goes, Martin, that's a great question. Uh, Most of the kids, if we're doing our job right, don't know how to worship. Mm -hmm. And so we sing more songs about who God is rather than worshiping out of a response from already knowing who Christ is. Okay. And so we want to clearly paint a picture of who God is through the songs that we sing. And Martin also says, Chris, I don't feel fed here at club. And Chris says... Martin, you're not supposed to feel fed here at club. I want you to feel fed in your local church. Mm -hmm. But for the majority of the kids who are here, they're hearing the gospel for the very first time. Right. So do you think, so a skeptic might say that um, when you say you're presenting the gospel in a way that kids can understand it, that you're underestimating the average teenager's ability to grasp the gospel or to grasp eternal things. Do you think you're doing that? Or uh, just expand a little bit of what you mean about presenting it in a way that kids can understand. Sure thing. Jesus is pretty crystal clear about saying that if you don't receive me like a child, Mm -hmm. then you're not receiving me in the right way. And we present the gospel in a, not a childish way, Mm -hmm. but a childlike way, where it's simple. We say we put the cookies on the bottom shelf where anybody can have access to them. And so we give a talk, um, usually no more than about 12 minutes, because teenagers have short attention spans. And uh, we have three basic parts to how we present the gospel. I present a launch story of usually something personal from my life because kids want to hear a story from somebody that they know. And we give give a story from Scripture somewhere in the Gospels about who Christ is. And then we talk about application and talk about why we need it. Mm. And mostly in every single talk, we talk about creation. And then we talk about what sin is. Mm -hmm. We talk about who Jesus is and what He did as a result of us being sinful and coming down to rescue us. And then we talk about the resurrection and what life with Christ is like. Mm. And we usually talk about all of those things in 10 to 12 minutes at every single club. What's the response to these talks from the kids usually? So we uh, certainly are in a long obedience in the same direction. Okay. What does that mean? And so it means that usually... um, 10 two-minute conversations is more beneficial than one 20-minute conversation with a kid. Okay. Because if we present the gospel to somebody, for the most part to a kid, in my 10-year career of being a young life leader, six of those on full-time staff, I've never had a kid come up the first time he ever heard the gospel to me and say, wow, Carl, that's great. I just received Christ tonight. Mm. It's been a process over time. Yeah. A long, drawn-out process of a kid hearing something of a young life leader showing up again and again in their life and them slowly coming to the realization of who Christ is mm. and eventually receiving Christ as their Savior. Awesome. It's a, it's a process, and we play the long game. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you've been involved uh, with Young Life for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you seen high school life or high school culture change during that time? Mm-hmm. 
So I'm 29 years old, okay. so I can only really personally speak to the past 10 years of culture. But what I've seen over the past 10 years is that the rate of cultural change uh, is at a higher rate than really anywhere else in history in terms of how quickly culture is changing in a short period of time. And so I've seen culture change in a few ways. Uh, one, the pink elephant in the room is technology. Mm-hmm. And so now kids, kids have access to the all-of-the-world information in their hand, which a cell phone can be like a power saw, where it can be a wonderful tool we can use to build a house, or we can cut our arm off yeah. with it. And so I've seen, for the most part, teenagers uh, using technology in destructive ways. And that's certainly different from when I was in high school, but it's something that we have to adjust to now as a culture. Mm -hmm. Because if we want to meet kids where they are, we need to care about the things that they care about and enter into their world culturally. And a huge part of their culture now is technology. So how do we do that in a way without compromising our biblical beliefs and still doing relational ministry like Jesus did with folks? And I also had a friend who has a PhD, and she wrote her dissertation on uh, adolescence in the medieval ages. Hmm. And it was a fascinating dissertation, and she gave me, uh, she handed out some notes to it in a class that I took. And for the most part, she said that adolescents are uh, sexually hormonal creatures that are driven by their hormones. Mm-hmm. They are rebellious. Uh, they are disinterested in church for the most part. And, uh, Every generation has a perception to think that the adolescence of their generation uh, is the worst generation the world has yeah. seen. And that that those notes were from middle middle ages, the fifteen adoles- adolescence. Wow, the fifteen hundred. So it's hard to read because the alphabet and the language is different. Yeah. But when you translate it, it, you would think they were talking about two thousand and nineteen. Wow. The more things change, the more they say the same. Yes. Yeah. Um, what are some of these cultural phenomena that you see that you think might be making their way into the mainstream culture, just to the degree that um, adolescent or high school culture is upstream of the larger American culture more broadly, what do you think is going to come down the pipe that our culture and the church specifically should be prepared for? Mm-hmm. What we see as young life leaders on the front lines of ministry in the local high schools is we see a couple things. One uh, that's just gleaming is uh, the hypersexuality of teenage culture these days. Mm-hmm. A lot of that has to do with technology. And so, uh, statistically, I think it was a, a study released by Barna not too long ago, said that teenagers are having sex less often and uh, they're drinking less than they used to. Mm. A lot of that due to uh, teenagers being completely absorbed into technology. And so instead of doing uh, socially rebellious things, they're doing digitally rebellious things. Okay. And so technology has opened up a window of accessibility to all the world's information and especially accessibility to damaging information like uh, sex. And swapping nude pictures is easier than it ever has been in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's like replacing a 100-pound weight on a house of cards. Yeah. And a teenager's brain that is still developing, we're giving them access to the world's information. Mm-hmm. And again, smartphones aren't bad, but we've just got to be really careful and we've got to be aware of how technology is shaping our culture and also access to drugs. Mm. Uh, we've seen you go to 
local gas station and you see advertisements for vapes, and so vapes are everywhere. But uh, vapes, I would say, are an epidemic in adolescent culture right now because they're getting teens addicted to nicotine, and it's a gateway to harder drugs. And now, uh, if any parents are listening, uh, and vapes are a gateway into what we call dabs, and dabs is like highly concentrated THC, which is the chemical in marijuana that gets you high. And so... The, and what's so unique and what's such a um, a huge culture shift uh, that adults are needing to get used to is that uh, a lot of these drugs don't have any sort of odor to them. Mm-hmm. And so kids can go in the bathroom and smoke a dab pen, which is highly illegal, mm-hmm. uh, or smoke a vape, which is illegal for kids 18 or older, but still highly addicting, just as addicting as cigarettes mm-hmm. are, and there being no consequences. And so instead of having to smoke marijuana and you stench like marijuana or having to do heavy drugs like we did 10, 20 years ago, uh, now drugs more or less are untraceable in high schools. And so they become more and more prevalent because they're untraceable. Mm -hmm. And so really the hypersexualization and then now uh, the smaller and the untraceable aspects of drugs are just what I've seen uh, just in the past few days of talking to the kids I know at the wow. high schools. Yeah. So um, just in light of that, what are some of the other challenges and nuances that are involved with ministering to high school kids? Oh, man. Um, to uh, Not to beat a dead horse, but we just have to play the long game. Okay. And so what used to work in culture and how Young Life started as a mission back in 1941 It was called the Young Life Campaign, and Young Life would come set up a big tent in a town, and kids would come to this big tent Mm -hmm. and hear a message, much like the Billy Graham Crusades. Think of the tent revivals and everything. That Exactly. Really similar to that. But as culture shifted, Young Life also shifted to meet the culture. Mm -hmm. And we went from having a large event-based ministry to now having a relational ministry, Mm. where the bread and butter of Young Life is not an event. It's the relationship between a Young Life leader and a kid between a caring adult who enters into a kid's world and loves them regardless of their response. Yeah. So what does that mean just practically like on a day-to-day level for you or another young life leader? What does it look like to have a relational ministry with high school kids? Uh, That's a great question. So practically 30 minutes before we came to to record this podcast, Mm -hmm. I was at a Clark High School soccer game with my wife, and we walked into the student section. And we said, hey, to the students that we know, and we've been doing this for three years, and so we probably knew it was playoff games. There were a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. We probably knew 35 or 40 students in the crowd. Wow. And we got to know the names of the kids that were sitting next to the students that we know. And then we walked into the parents section and talked to the parents that were there. And that didn't happen overnight. And that's the culmination of years of showing up. Mm-hmm. We would show up to high school pep rallies to football, basketball, and baseball games, school theater productions, Mm. depending on the administration at a local high school, because we work a lot in the public school system, some private schools, but a lot publicly. It's really based on the local administration and how much access they give us. But we know that God is bigger than anything, knows everything, and is everywhere all the time. And so anytime we may see a roadblock, God will provide a way around that roadblock. Mm. And so even at the high school that uh, Nellie, my wife, and I do Young Life at, they won't let Young Life leaders on campus, uh, or really religious organizations for that matter, uh, during school hours. Mm. But we have prayed and we've seen God open doors all around the school bells for us to still enter into the world of kids Mm -hmm. without entering into their world during school class time hours. Interesting. Can you kind of show us 
um, how your ministry has progressed in the terms of like, so you, you mentioned you knew this crowd of kids at this soccer game. Can you walk us through like the first event that you went to um, when you were new to San Antonio Young Life? Oh, yeah. So Nellie and I, when we moved to San Antonio, we felt like we were leaving the promised land to move to Babylon. No offense <laughs> for all these native San Antonians in the crowd. Man, harsh. And we love, we're both native Texans, but moving down from this thriving ministry we came from, which was great. Uh, and and where, where was that just for And that was in Northwest Arkansas, okay. in Fayetteville, Arkansas, a town that I love mm. dearly. And we were a part of some great, uh, and in terms of numbers, large Young Life ministry up there. And when we moved down here, for this portion of San Antonio, for the Northwest portion of San Antonio that we live in, mm-hmm. Young Life had had a history. But when we moved in, it had more or less uh, flatlined okay. for a few different reasons. And organizations are like systems. You know, there's lots of pieces. But I can remember that Nellie and I went to a pep rally at Clark High School, okay. the first pep rally of the year, because I was told, Carlisle, you and Nellie are going to do Young Life at Clark High School. And we did not know one person. Mm. And we showed up to the pep rally because we know kids are never going to come to us. Right. We have to go to kids. That's why Jesus came to earth. He said, you by yourselves can never get to me. So I'm going to come down to where you are, put on skin, and move into your neighborhood. And so Nellie and I went to the first Clark High School pep rally of 2000, fall 2016, and we didn't know a soul. Mm. Nellie and I walked into a crowded auditorium with horns blaring, with parents cheering the football team up, and my heart was racing, and we sat there not knowing anybody, but prayed the entire time. Mm. And I would look at kids and parents and the administration, and I prayed, just like in Colossians 4, uh, Paul says, will you pray for opportunities, for doors to open for us for to be able to share this message. And I prayed, God, would you open a door in this community for us? And since then, we could go for a long time, but God has opened hundreds and thousands of doors to be able to share his message with kids. But yeah. I can still remember that first day, our hearts racing and seeing thousands of kids who, statistically speaking, were probably untouched by the mm-hmm. love of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I deeply wanted them to know Jesus. But we sat there and prayed and since then, we've prayed, and God has opened doors, and we've slowly walked through doors in terms of meeting people, uh, making phone calls, and simply calling people in like a kindergartner at recess asking, will you be my friend? Mm. And since then, we've been fortunate enough to make a whole lot of friends, and wow. God has done a big work in a lot of lives. So let's talk about some of those doors that God's opening. How have you seen God work through Young Life um, since your time here in, in San Antonio? Yeah, so Young Life, uh, especially in Northwest San Antonio, had a great history in the late 90s and then coming up in the early to mid-2000s. And so what we did is just access some of those old archives back when they kept uh, files in filing cabinets, uh, not so much on computers. So that's like a drawer, right? That it's like a like... drawer that you, you pull <laughs> this little trigger and pull out. Folders? Yeah, okay. it's hard to explain. I'll draw a diagram for you later. <laughs> But we simply called a lot of the folks who were involved in Young Life uh, from the late 90s, early 2000s, mid-2000s, mm-hmm. and uh, said we knew something great was going on, and we, went a part of, uh, we want to be a part of helping to rebuild it here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we made a lot of phone calls, and we, we were proactive. We had to play offense. Mm-hmm. If we sit around and did nothing, kids were going to continue to not hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. And so we had to courageously... Uh, and we were afraid, but step out uh, and do ministry and uh, and get messy and had some conversations uh, with some folks who didn't want to help. And mm-hmm. then we had some great conversations with some folks that said, sign me up. Mm. 
put me in coach and ready to play. That's great. Um, are there any specific stories about uh, kids that you'd like to share uh, that give some evidence of how God is working through your ministry? Yes, I'll give you a, a couple questions. I'll give you one uh, kind of an extreme story. Uh, I won't use any real first names, but let's just say this. Let's just say this kid's name is John. Okay, I met a kid named John at a uh, at a lunch table, and he uh, culturally was completely different from me. Uh, you would simply look at the two of us and probably say, "Wow, they you know they don't really look like the other." <laughs> and uh, I took John with me to a Young Life summer camp, and Young Life owns thirty-two resort-style properties worldwide. We call them camps, but mm-hmm. they're more like these four and five-star resorts. Yeah, they're for- they're really nice. I've been mm-hmm. to one once, and they are really nice. Man, they're beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so I took John with me to camp, and throughout the week, he hears a crystal clear gospel progression about who we are, who God is, and how God has a relationship with us. And probably in the middle of the week, as he's processing some of this, he reveals to me that both of his parents met in the meth industry. Mm. And uh, in a couple weeks before we had gone to camp, he said he had tried to kill himself. And so he, uh, the conversation gets moved uh, pretty deep, pretty quick. And uh, and through tears, he goes, Carlisle, uh, am I going to hell because I tried to kill myself? Mm. And uh, and I said, we can dive into a lot of these questions later. But what I want you to know more than anything, John, is that I'm not a judge with a gavel condemning you right now. Yeah. I am sitting in the courtroom of God in the defendant's chair right next to you saying I'm equally in need of God's grace. And God's love. And John didn't have a father in his life, and so that week we got to tell him about how God is the eternal father who Mm. loves him dearly and runs toward him like the prodigal son and welcomes him home, even though he smells like pigs. Mm. And so and he came to receive Christ uh, at summer camp. And that story is not uncommon in young life. And I I fear ever being a part of a ministry where people come to faith in Christ and I'm not deeply moved. Uh, There's another story of a kid... Uh, we'll call him Alex. And the first time I ever met Alex, I said, Hey, uh, what's your name? And he said, my name is Alex, but I'm named after my dad and I hate my dad. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to change my name. And I thought, wow, what a way to start a conversation. (laughs) Yeah. And so over a period of a couple months and ended up being a year, uh, I would show up to a lot of his things at school, his tournaments, his events, and we get to know him, got to know his family, uh, persuaded him to come to a young life camp with us. And he came uh, to faith in Christ, and he asked about a thousand theological questions that about 990 of them I didn't know the answer mm. to. And I would simply say, I don't know, but let's explore that together. Mm-hmm. Um, and two questions, or two more brief stories. One was a, a Christian kid who got involved in Young Life and found a way where he could serve in Young Life. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, back in Arkansas, and he was one of the first Christian kids I met who wanted to be one of the core pillars of Young Life. And uh, we'll call him Kevin. And Kevin was kind of a geeky kid. Kevin, or Kevin scored a 35 on his ACT, wow. which for those of you who aren't familiar is one point away from perfect. Yeah. And if you were to look in a room, I would probably say this kid is the uh, least likely of the good-looking popular bunch of kids uh, to ever have an impact on a school. Uh, but God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Mm-hmm. And so God used uh, Kevin uh, over a period of four years in his high school to bring in more people into the fold of Christ than I've seen any other high school kid in my young life experience. Wow. And he was quiet. He wasn't loud and funny, but he was, he was, he was quiet 
and steady and faithful. Mm. And that sold me forever on how on how critical it is to have mature Christian kids involved in this ministry called Young Life, mm-hmm. which, if we're doing our job right, sometimes can be very R-rated. Mm-hmm. Not The ministry itself is not R-rated, but because we're bringing in kids into this ministry who have filthy mouths that come from shattered and broken homes, uh, not every kid, mm-hmm. but a lot of the kids, uh, we've got to have mature Christian kids who can be our core group that we can go deep into Scripture with and that we can say, hey, join us in playing offense mm. in the world. Yeah. Join us in being a part of the ministry. Don't how, how, often, how often are we in the church not fishers of men but just keepers of aquariums? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can clean our own aquarium and just worry about the fish we have while there are millions of fish in the ocean who are lost mm. that we need to go out and catch. And Kevin uh, was one of those kids who joined with a group of us leaders in Young Life and said, I'm going to go out and catch my friends. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, how can folks at TGC pray for Young Life as a ministry, but also be praying for you? Another great question. Uh, Colossians 4, like I mentioned before in this podcast, um, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Mm. So I'd pray for two things. I would pray that God would continue to open doors. Uh, Even when we look at adolescent culture, which can be incredibly dark and incredibly painful and incredibly dirty. You think when the prodigal son came home, he didn't take a bath before Mm. he came home. He smelled like He smelled like pigs, Mm -hmm. and he had been making poor decisions his entire life. So what does it look like for us to embrace spiritually filthy and stinky people Mm. and still embrace them and hug them and kiss them and throw a feast for them? So I would would continue to pray for doors to open up supernaturally uh, because it's been a supernatural work of God for him to bring the kids into the ministry that we have right now, mm-hmm. what we're trying to build is healthy, sustainable ministry around the entire city of San Antonio. And so right now, we're reaching probably one-eighth of the high schools in San Antonio. Okay. So simply praying for doors to open, and then I would say, uh, I would love just for personal prayers in terms of us and upfront proclaiming the gospel, but also in building relationships with kids and just clearly presenting the gospel, uh, just like Paul said, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as mm-hmm, I should. Mm-hmm. Pray for me that uh, even in the hard and very busy seasons where we're also running an organization here, and as a leader of the organization, that I can still, I, I would never lose sight of the purity of what we get to do, Yeah, and that I would still be able to proclaim the gospel. I would, one, understand it in my own heart, and then be able to regurgitate it out to my teenage friends with crystal clarity and not lose sight of the mission, because we do have an enemy here yeah. who's doing everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy my life and everybody else's life who's a part mm-hmm. of his mission. Uh, but pray that we can we can stay courageous and continue to proclaim it clearly. Yeah, absolutely. We want to be a church that um, prays for those missionaries that we support. And Kyle, Carlisle, you're one of those missionaries. We want to be we want to be committed to uh, praying for you. Absolutely. Um, Carl Allegarin, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of TGC Midweek. Honored to be a part of it. Thank you, Jacob. This was great. 
Um, thank you guys for tuning in to TGC Midweek. Just a real quick note of housekeeping. Michael and I have been thinking a lot about uh, what we want this podcast to be and going forward, uh, the direction that we want to take this podcast. As you know, this podcast started as a question and response platform, and that's always going to be a core tenet of what TGC Midweek is. Um, but we're going to launch into a short mini series. We're thinking maybe about four weeks on uh, a topic that's been um, on the minds of a lot of folks uh, in the congregation, and that's church government, believe it or not. So uh, get excited for that one. So we're going to do four weeks on church government, what that looks like um, in in the PCA and, and what it means to be a Presbyterian in terms of, of church government, because that's really kind of the defining feature in a lot of ways of what it means to be a Presbyterian church. So uh, we're aiming for about four weeks on that, the fourth week of which we want to answer all of your questions on the topic of church government. Um, so please be sure to send those questions in, questions in. Um, but this podcast will always first be a question and response podcast. So to the extent that you have questions about the Sunday sermons or about Christianity more broadly, always send those in and uh, we will take a few minutes at the beginning or at the end of our church government series to um, take seriously the questions that you have and give at least try to give them um, a, a worthwhile response. So if you have those questions, and if you have questions about church government in the PCA, you can email those to michael at trinitygracesa.org or text those questions to 210-920-0783. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, take care. <laughs>